This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight we begin with Fibber McGee and Molly, one of the best organized broadcasts on radio. It starred a real-life married couple, Jim and Marion Jordan. Now, Jim Jordan insisted that after the Tuesday broadcast, everyone affiliated with the program must take a full two-day rest. Nothing is done about the following Tuesday show until Friday morning. Then, Jim and Marion Jordan get together with the writer Don Quinn and agency producer Cecil Underwood to talk the next script into shape. They work in a business office because they're convinced that the business-like and efficient atmosphere helps them get the work done in two hours. By Saturday morning, Quinn had the first draft of the script ready, and Fibber reads it, after which Quinn goes ahead to write the final working script. Tuesday morning, the entire cast, including Billy Mills' orchestra, rehearsed about four times, concluding with a complete run-through about 3 o'clock. At 5.30 Pacific time, they go on the air. And this program of preparation never varies by more than an hour from week to week. Here's the episode now entitled Antique Furniture. The Johnson Wax Program. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat present Fibber McGee and Company with Jim Jordan as Fibber, Donald Novis, the Four Notes, and Billy Mills Orchestra. And tonight, we're delighted to welcome to this program the listeners to 27 stations of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. We open the show tonight with a shine on your shoe. an announcement of real importance to any housewife. This is the week when millions of women are making their homes bright and attractive for Easter Day. If you're wise, you'll start with your floors. Give them new beauty with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. You know, of course, how easy it is to apply glow coat. Takes only a few minutes to do a whole floor. You don't even have to soil your hands. No rubbing or buffing is necessary. Glow coat dries in 20 minutes to a wonderful gleaming polish that everyone admires. 
Right now, there's a special sale on Johnson's self-polishing glow coat and Johnson's wax. Ask your dealer for the giant size cans that give you one-third more for your money. A pint and one-third, or a pound and one-third, for the regular price of one pint or one pound. It will pay you to go to the store tomorrow morning and get a supply of Johnson's wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat in the money-saving giant size cans. and contentment reign over the McGee menage today. Our hero has just had a good breakfast and is lingering over his second cup of coffee and the morning papers. And here in the dining room at 79 Wistful Vista, we find Fibber, Japers, Crapers, where'd you get those papers, McGee? Hmm, what's all this stuff about them college students swallowing live goldfish? <laughs> Bet they're just trying to wiggle out of examinations. <laughs> well, well. Maurice Chevalier expected to make American comeback. Well, good for you, Maurice. You can do it, too, if you try hard and keep a stiff lower lip. <laughs> Come in. Oh, hi, Harpo. Have a cup of coffee? Did you make it? Yep. No, thanks. <laughs> Say, I see you've got the morning papers. Did you read about that collector of antique furniture who's in town, Junius P. Fort Gill? No, what about him? Well, I was just thinking. He's in town buying up old furniture, and I thought you might make a little dough. Your furniture's pretty old, isn't it? Well, now, say it is at that. I wonder well, if Look I at should... that old sofa of yours in the living room, and that four-poster bed you have upstairs. Didn't you tell me that Napoleon once slept on that bed? Well, sure I did. That, that's what the dealer told me. <laughs> Judging from the bumpy mattress that come with it, I'll bet Napoleon's horse slept on it, too. <laughs> Say, I'll bet I can sell that guy some stuff at that. Well, I thought you'd be interested. Of course, I don't know if your stuff is antique enough. Oh, don't worry about that there, Harpo. By the time he gets here, it'll look antique. Sure you won't have a cup of coffee, Harpo? No, thanks. It smells too strong for me. How do you make coffee, anyway? Well, how does anybody make good coffee? I get a can of coffee... Take the cover off, dump half the coffee out, and fill the can up with boiling water. <laughs> Makes enough coffee for eight or ten days if you warm it up good. <laughs> well, what do you do with the coffee you have left? Throw it out or use it for fly spray? <laughs> That's no good for that. I tried that, Harple. <laughs> it's no good for fly spray. It eats holes in the draperies. <laughs> Well, thanks for tipping me off to Father Gill, Harpo, and say, if you're going past the hotel, you drop a hint to this uh, antique collector, Father Gill, and guy, and see if, tell him I got a house full of antiques. Huh? I'll do that, Fibber. I owe you a favor for not insisting that I have a cup of that sheep dip. So long, pal. <laughs> well, now, let's see. Now, how can I make this furniture look antiquer than it is? Better scratch it up a little. Maybe shoot some wormholes into it with a shotgun. Boy, won't Molly be happy when she comes home and finds I got rid of all this old junk? <laughs> that ain't Father Gill, folks. We ain't built up enough suspense yet. <laughs> Come in. Hello there, Johnny. 
Why any fresh eggs today? <laughs> no, thanks, old-timer. Hey! <laughs> I says, no, we don't want any eggs. Not on this show. We lay our own. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the way I heard it. <laughs> the way I heard it, one fella says to the other fella, she says, <laughs> see where Jim Farley might run for vice president. That so, says t'other fella. Vice president ain't much of a job for a fella like Farley, is it? No, says the first fella. But if you start out as a mailman, you gotta expect to hold the bag. <laughs> sure you don't want any eggs, Johnny? I fed one of my hens on violets this week, and she laid some nice purple ones for Easter. No, thanks. All righty. <laughs> laid purple eggs for Easter. No wonder she laid any for that old buzzard. He's got a face that would stop a cluck. <laughs> oh, let's see. Now, what was I going to do? Oh, yes. I got to get this furniture ready. I'll bust the glass in that desk so it'll look a little older. Ah. <clears throat> that looks more antique. <laughs> Tear the upholstery a little on this footstool. Rip that right leg off this footstool. Oh, they cut down the old pine tree, and they hauled it away. Come in. Hello, Fibber. What are you doing? Oh, kicking the furniture around, Billy. There's an antique buyer in town, and I'm adding a few years to the life of all my stuff. It looks battered enough now. Are you familiar with antiques? Oh, yes, enough anyway. For instance, you see that love seat there? That's a genuine, authentic antique, William. That's the very love seat where Paul Revere proposed to Cleopatra. Go on. Cleopatra <laughs> was a thousand years older than Paul Revere. Oh, well, what difference does it make if they really loved each other? <laughs> There's a lot of romance in a piece of furniture like that there, Billy. Can't you just imagine a young lover sitting there on pins and needlepoint? <laughs> well, never mind that. How about hearing Don Nova sing this night? Well, that'll be swell, Billy. Let him go ahead while I load my shotgun. Your shotgun? Yeah, I gotta shoot a few wormholes in this furniture. That's a trick I learned from my grandfather, William. He was an antique dealer. Poor old guy. What happened to him? Oh, he tried to saw the legs off his old secretary and she swore out a warrant. <laughs> go ahead, Billy. This night. Take it, Don. This night was made for dreaming This night was passion for you This night my arms enfold you My eyes have told you This 
sing this night for me any day. <laughs> well, thanks, Fibber. But please don't point that shotgun at me. Oh, don't worry about that shotgun. It ain't loaded. I was just going to show... <laughs> Gee, that was wonderful, Fibber. <laughs> you knocked out the front window. What could you do with a loaded gun? <laughs> <laughs> we all make mistakes. <laughs> Most people don't make more than one with a shotgun. Oh, so you don't think I know anything about firearms, eh? <laughs> I guess you didn't know I used to be a champion skeet shooter. No, did you? Well, sure I did. Well, I used to go out in the morning with my dog and gun and come back just loaded down with skeets. <laughs> it was good eating, too. A little gamey, but good. <laughs> you ever try a clay pigeon with wild rice? <laughs> now you're joshing me, <laughs> Well, what were you going to use the shotgun for, anyway? I'm going to shoot some wormholes in the furniture to make it look more antiquer. Sit oh. down, Don, and watch me. Uh, no, thanks. I, I've been allergic to shotguns ever since I was a kid and stole watermelons. <laughs> <laughs> the farmers used to fire rock salt at us. Uh, did you ever get hit? Yes, once. I thought so. They say the best way to tame a bird is to put salt on it. Oh, you going, Don? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to go. See you later. Okay. Let's see now. I better start with the piano. I'll saw the top off that so it'll look like an old-fashioned melodeon. Oh, they cut down the old Steinway, which made it much harder to play. I'm going to have a fine bunch of antiques here very shortly. Now, if I can only get... What's that? That couldn't be Father Gill. He wouldn't be riding up on a horse. Or maybe he expects to jockey me on the price. Come in. Well, for goodness sakes, a Royal Canadian Mounted Policeman. What you want, tall, dark, and handsome? Are you Fibber McGee, sir? Yes, I am, bud, but what you got? Well, I'm Sergeant Wilcox, sir, of the Mounted. Oh. Just rode down to welcome you to the Canadian Network tonight. Oh, thanks. Hands across the border and all that sort of thing, you know? Well, thanks, Sergeant. It's nice to know there's two countries who can reach their hands across the border without shaking their fists at each other. <laughs> Certainly appreciate your coming in. Why, well, I'm delighted, sir. And may I ask what you're doing with a saw and hammer? I'm antiquing some furniture, bud. Getting ready to sell some old stuff to a collector. Really? Yeah. Interesting lot of stuff. Say, those old manuscripts on the desk there should be worth a lot. May I see them? Why, a collection of old jokes, isn't it? <laughs> Imagine anyone laughing at those old quips. Hey, put that down, bud. That's our next week's program. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, sir. You familiar with our show up there, Sergeant? Oh, yes. Splendid product you have, too, old man. I'll say so. Though it makes hard work for us policemen. Well, how can that be? Johnson's wax makes work a lot easier. No, not for us. Why, just last month, I trailed a criminal for 300 miles. Just as I was closing in on him, he walked through a house in Saskatchewan and disappeared. Disappeared? Is that Saskatchewan? Yes. yes. The owners of the house had used Johnson's wax, and we couldn't find a single fingerprint on the furniture or woodwork or a single footprint on the floor. Well, 
Well, I suppose you heard about the special limited offer Johnson's Wax has on sale now. A giant-sized can, paste or liquid, with an extra third free. No, but I'll speak to Inspector McTavish about it. He's a rare one for a bargain. Inspector McTavish, eh? Wonder if he's the same one I worked with when I was a mounted policeman up there. Oh, were you a Mountie? Was I? You mean you mean to say you never heard of me up there? Why, shucks, Sergeant. I was once known from Vancouver to Quebec for my capers up there. Canadian Capers McGee, I was known as in them days. <laughs> Canadian Capers McGee, the coolest, cleverest, crimson-coated cop who ever crept carefully through the keen, cutting cold to capture a crook, continually cantering across country to crack a conspiracy or keep constant control of criminals coming into Canada, and the condomless, craftiest constable from Columbia's colossal tree to the colorful cabins of Lake Louise. <laughs> Yes, sir, and the way I used to run out of the barracks and leap onto the back of my horse for my dead run was something to see. Say, you got your horse outside there? Yes, sir, tethered to the porch, sir. Well, open the door and I'll show you how I used to leap into the saddle. Well, I'd like to see it, sir. Well, here I go. Watch this. Oh, good heavens. What happened, sir? What do you mean, what happened? There ain't no horse out there. Oh, no, sir, not out there. I tied the animal to the back porch. Oh, dear. Sorry you misunderstood. Ooh. Well, I must be going now, sir. Welcome to Canada, old man. Oh. Cheerio. Oh, boy, oh, boy. First time I've ever been saddle sore without even being on a horse. <laughs> well, I better get busy before old Fothergill comes to look at my antiques. Oh, they cut down the old pine tree And they hauled it away to the mills Say, this stuff is beginning to look like something Maybe I better check up and see if old Father Gill is really coming over here Before I batter up any more of this stuff Call him up Hello, operator Give me the commercial house, I want to... Oh, is that you, Mert? <laughs> Hi, Mert Fibber McGee How's everything, Mert? Say, I seen your brother on the street this morning Yeah, he sure looked proud in that new sweater of his With the big H.C. on it Where's he going to school, Mert? Harvard College? Huh? Oh, house of correction. <laughs> uh, <laughs> say, uh, give me the commercial house, will you, Mert? Thanks. Oh, they chopped down the old pine tree and hauled it away. Hello? Commercial house? Let me talk to Mrs. Mr. Junius P. Fothergill, will you? <laughs> He's gone out where? To see a man named McGee. Uh-oh. Well, never mind. Oh, boy. He's on his way. Hot dog. Come in, Father Gill. Oh, how do you do, Mr. McGee? Oh, hi, Uppy. I mistook you for an antique collector. Guy named Junius P. Father Gill. I expect him over here any minute. Oh, really? Well, now, that's exactly what I wanted to see you about, Mr. McGee. You see, I'm selling him a few pieces of my own collection. <laughs> you know, the Uppington family is simply full of antiques. <laughs> Uppy, you just issued an engraved invitation to a wise crack there, but I ain't got the heart. <laughs> Did you come over here to tell me about Father Gill? Oh, no, 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 Miss McGee. Uh, you remember that footstool you borrowed from me last week? The, 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 the footstool? Oh, yes. The, oh, yes, the footstool. <laughs> Shucks, I kind of forgot that was yours, Uppy. Oh, my, there it is. Yes, my, uh, sir. Oh, good heavens, Miss oh. McGee. Why, you've ruined it. And that's been an Uppington heirloom for generations. Oh. Why, there hasn't been a heel in our family that hasn't rested on that footstool. <laughs> 
Really, Mr. McGee, how could you? Oh, it wasn't hard. I just took the hammer and went to it. <laughs> but you just leave it to me, Uppy. I'll sell it for you for a lot more than you could. Oh, dear. Well, well, all right. I, I don't mean to be a silly girl about it, Mr. McGee, but I do hope you know what you're doing. Trust me, Uppy. I know my antiques. For instance, you see that little wooden clock up on the wall there? Oh, yes. Cuckoo, isn't it? <laughs> little, but it's cute. My, my great-great-grandfather made that clock, Uppy. Oh, really? Yeah, he was always tinkering with clocks. Made one for a friend of his once, a barber, and put a little hen into it instead of a cuckoo. And every morning, the little door would fly open, and the little hen would pop out and say, cut, 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 and the barber would get up and go to work. Well, now, that's very interesting. But do you think Mr. Father Gill will be... Quiet, Uppy. I want to hear how that cuckoo clock sounds. It's going to strike. Cuckoo. 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 Well, imagine that. Wasn't that clever of Grandpa? He put a quartet in it. <laughs> what you gonna sing, kids? Uh, the Cuckoo and the Clock. Okay, give it the works. Tick-tock in the parlor was the only sound. Tick-tock on the mantel, nothing else around. Boy and girl were close as they could be. There they were, there they were, he was baby talking her and the cuckoo and the clock went cuckoo. Every 15 men of the crew, cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. Be a pal, be a pal, said the fella to the gal. The cuckoo and the clock went cuckoo. I believe they're starting to woo. Woo, 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 woo. They didn't know that everything they said was overheard. They didn't hear that little birdie giving them the bird. So he said with a sigh, who's your little peachy pie? The cuckoo and the clock went cuckoo. So I'm just a little cuckoo. I'm not as cuckoo as you. Then he closed the door and withdrew. The birdie cuckoo. The birdie cuckoo. Every 15 minutes he crew. bird seed this week. Well, I guess I better get back to work. Oh, I cut down the coffee table to make it as old as I was able. Oh, I cut the... Better hide these tools. Come in. Oh, hello there, Fizzer. Why is your face being so full of perspiration? <laughs> I've been working, Nick. I've been aging my furniture. I want to sell it to a big antique collector. I don't mean to tell you. Yeah, I've been kind of doctoring it up, so it'll look older. Well, for scrimp's sake, would you be guilty of deceiving an appearance for the sakes of making a profit, Spizzer? Why, certainly, wouldn't you? Sure, every time. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, Nick, have you got any antiques? Any period furniture? Period furniture? Oh, sure, we're having a little stuffed over Sioux City, that is... A little what? 
And it'll stuffed over Sioux City. Stuffed over Sioux City? Stuffed over. Oh, you mean an overstuffed Davenport. Stuffed over Sioux City. <laughs> Sir, and I stand connected. I knew this being someplace in Iowa, but this little stuffed over Davenport is being a nice thing, Fizzer. It has got pup holes through with polka dots all over it. There is being enough periods in that one piece of furniture to make a great No, thing. no, 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 no. By period, by period furniture, Nick, we mean, uh, oh, like uh, William and Mary, Heppelwhite, and Colonial, and Early American, Louis the Fourteenth, and all stuff like that there. Oh, but I think that is all being a lot of saucy apples, Fizzer. <laughs> if a chair is being a good place to sit on, what difference is it making whether it is William and Marion, Early Colloquial, Heppelpuss, or Lousy the Fourteenth? <laughs> I'm afraid you just don't appreciate nice things, Nick. Yes, it would be a nice thing if I appreciated nice things, but I haven't, so I don't. <laughs> but speaking of a furniture, it is like I was saying to Mrs. DePopolis last night when she is saying she would like to go downtown and buy a new ornamental rug. Oriental. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, when she is saying that to me, I'm saying, listen, Mrs. DePopolis, I'm saying, while she is having the radio on very loud and listening to the Lone Range Finder, Listen, Mrs. DePopolis, I'm saying And then she is turning the radios to hear Robert Frey Robert Frey? Oh, you mean Bob Hope (laughs) Oh, well, Hope and Frey, what is the difference? Well, what did you tell Mrs. DePopolis about buying the Oriental rug? Nothing, just then she's getting some pretty music by the Philadelphia Symphony Orchestra And is motioning me to be quiet with the rolling pin so I guess I know when I'm well off to the drugstore to buy me some cigars. Well, it's a long fizzer. Don't forget to come and see us sometime. Anytime you're dropping in, pass by. Well, I guess I'm just about all set for old Father Gill. I'll take one more whack at that easy chair. Oh, bet that's him. Come in. How do you do? Do you need any socks? <laughs> <laughs> Not now, sis. The show's nearly over. <laughs> we could have used some in the first 20 minutes. Well, you don't understand. I represent the Wilkie Stilky Stocky Corporation, and I'm taking orders for our new spring line. May I show you some samples? <laughs> no, thanks, sis. I go barefoot starting 1st of May. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't stub your toe, Junior. <laughs> Fresh gal. Wilkie Stilky Stocky Corporation. I should have told her I represented the John C. Wansy Waxy Company. <laughs> oh, I better get these splinters picked up before Father Gill gets here. I have to pick up a collection to buy our sound effect man some new knuckles. <laughs> Come in. Uh, good day, sir. Mr. McGee, I believe. You betcha, bud. You the gentleman who wanted to look at the furniture? Yes, I am. How did you know? Oh, I've been expecting you. Have a cigar? Uh, thank you. I have one. You got two? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, uh, hmm. They tell me you have a very valuable collection of antiques here, Mr. McGee. Oh, I have. Very valuable. Uh, hmm. uh, what would you estimate its uh, value, Mr. McGee? Oh, I don't know, bud. Aside from the sentimental value, I'd say it was worth at least, well, in the neighborhood of, uh, roughly speaking, about, well, at a guess, somewhere near... Well, what would you say? <laughs> well, I'd much rather you put your own price on it, McGee. You would? <laughs> oh, that's swell. Well, now you take that desk there. I'd say about 3000 for that one piece. 3000 Is that all? Is it? Well, that's without the drawers, of course. 
With the drawers, I'd say 5000 Now, how about that footstool, bud? That's interesting, ain't it? Oh, yes, it certainly is very interesting. <laughs> Fairly modern, isn't it? Oh, no, that's a genuine Uppington. I know the Uppington family personally. Remember the old furniture designers, Uppington, Downworthy, and Roundweather? <laughs> Their trademark was up, down, and around. <laughs> that footstool is worth at least 2000 bud. Is that so? Well, that seems like a fair price. It does? Well, obviously. <laughs> well, uh, what do you think of the rest of the stuff, bud? Well, uh, frankly, I, I don't know when I've seen such a motley collection of furniture. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you know your stuff, bud. There ain't a piece in the lot that ain't a genuine motley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very good. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> now, uh, what value would you place on the entire lot, McGee? The whole mess, eh? Well, frankly, bud, I'm making the estimate low on account of you seem to be a nice guy. Let's make it a fair and square 20000 No, 25000 That's it. That's my final figure. That's very fair. I'll settle for 25000 Done. We better close the deal quick because this stuff is getting more antique every minute. Yes. Uh, deal? Uh, what deal? Well, you're buying this stuff, ain't you? Buying it? Why, no. Who do you think I am? Ain't you Father Gill, the antique collector? No, I'm Wallaby, the tax assessor. The tax... One of the... Oh, God. Carlo Wilcox has already welcomed our new listeners tonight on the Canadian Network, and I want to extend the welcome on behalf of our little company and myself. We hope our northern neighbors will enjoy our shows and will join us each Tuesday night from now on. Incidentally, our next week's broadcast is our 200th program for Johnson's Wax, and we're happy to announce that we'll have another visit from our old friend, Zazu Pitts. Good night, folks. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, Racine, Wisconsin, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Time now for Escape on Theater of the Mind. Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are crouched in the center of a barren room. The heat of the tropics numbing your brain, your bare hands bleeding and torn. While facing you, his giant hands reaching for you, 
is the brute of a man whose life depends upon his killing you. Listen now as Escape brings you John Russell's unusual story, Jetsam. The pub known as the Crown and Anchor was much like any of its fellow establishments along the Sydney waterfront. It was noisy and ill-lit and always crowded with a clientele that worked hard at being boisterously happy. The liquor was cheap and potent and quickly available. At the Crown and Anchor, there was a little something for everyone. New acquaintances, male or female, old friends to be met, and of course, arguments. Those wonderful, time-consuming, liquor-bred arguments. What was that again? I said and I say again. You bloody English think you won the war yourself. Well, that's a filthy thing to say. Or maybe you won it yourself in your pretty little stiffer. Well, at least I didn't spend my time mucking about in the desert with Montgomery. And now you don't. You big lumbering The fleet air arm has just collapsed. <laughs> Here, give me a hand, Alf. We'll right chuck it. him out the street. And now, sitting in the waiting room of Morley and Sons solicitors, Junius Peabody couldn't remember too well everything that had happened. He remembered the crown at anchor and the man with a scarred face and waking at dawn on the cobbled street face down in the gutter. But he wasn't too clear on the reasons for it all. John will see you now, Mr. Peabody. Uh. Good morning, Juniors. Sit down. I, uh... I'm sorry about not keeping our appointment the other day, said John. It was almost two weeks ago, Junius. Yes, I'm sorry, sir. wanted to see you because I've had another cable from your father. Yes, sir. Sent along a letter of credit, drawn in the amount of 50 pounds. From what he says in the cable, I don't think he expects you to come back to England. But the last time I wrote, I said I'd be home. I said I'd work for him there. Yes, I don't think that's of much interest to your father anymore. Would you care to see the cable? Um, no. No, thank you. Now, he also has instructed me to advance you no more money under any consideration. So, I'm not to be a remittance man after all. Junius, do you have any plans? I have no plans. Well, what about your commission? Who can use a 35-year-old flyer, one that can't even hold a rum glass steady? Yes, and that's something else, Junius. This drinking of yours... This is going to be a lecture, Sir John? Well, in a sense, yes. Now, ever since the war, you've done your best to become an alcoholic. Why? Why does anyone drink? Well, may I tell you why I think you do? The war. You're still fighting it. Still in a Singapore prisoner of war, Captain. Yeah. And you were a good officer and a good pilot, I'm told. You could have gone on if you'd let yourself. Why can't you forget what's behind you? Forget what you went through. Others have? This is a lecture, isn't it? 
Well, you came to Australia to war's end. You've done a lick of work since. Now, really, well, as well as you could in the money your father sent out here. You've held only one position in all that time, and that you managed to keep for just three weeks. I was out sick in a hospital. Oh, you were dead drunk in a back street house. I was out sick. <laughs> Call it what you want. But don't use the war as an excuse for your own shortcomings. Oh, it must be very fine to be successful and smug and righteous. Now, just listen to me No, for a I won't. I'm sick to teeth of men like you and my father. Preaching, moralizing. I'm tired of a lot of you. Now, if you'll be good enough to give me that letter of credit, I will get out of your office. Now, you're talking like a child. The letter, Junior. please. Yeah? Junius, where are you going? For as long as my money holds out, Sir John, I shall be at the noisiest, filthiest, and most enjoyable bar in Sydney. And that was the start of a most colossal binge for Junius Peabody. The entries were badly blurred, but he could trace himself up through Brisbane, Port Moresby, Macau. There were assorted voyages and counter-voyages women's faces, and the cloying aroma of heavy perfumes. There was a hectic session when he and a Norwegian schooner captain hit the bank at Fantan and swore eternal friendship amid champagne baskets. And it was this same captain who landed him finally, the champagne baskets having been emptied, on a small island. And it was on this island that he found a bar where a tall, cynical white man by the name of Bendemeer cashed in the remains of the dwindling letter of credit for the last magnificent splurge. And now, weeks after leaving Sydney, Junius awoke on the wide sandy beach, watching the dawn spread over the butternut sea. Hello. Hmm? You don't happen to have a flask or anything handy about you. Well, if I had one, it would be empty. Shame it is. I've a notion I'm about to have the fantods. The what? Fantods, you know, the creepers. Oh. Yeah. I could use a bracer myself. I'm the Sydney Duck. Your name's Peabody. That's right. <laughs> it wasn't half a party you give last night at the Bendemeers. The, uh, Bendemeers? It seems to me I was thrown out at there last night. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. You was, and me... And the big Dutchman, Willems. But it was your fault. You started playing Chuck Farman among his bottles with a bunch of copper spikes. I've never seen a man hold his liquor worse. Well, I paid for it, didn't I? It was my money, and heavens knows you had your share of it. Well, Lord love you, chum. That I did. Hey. Seeing as he threw us out, I... I suppose your credit's gone. I imagine. Sydney. Yes? What is this place? This is a beach, chum. And the island's Fufuti. <laughs> and what the devil's Fufuti? 3,000 miles from the nearest pub. <laughs> oh. uh, uh, I did have some cufflinks and things. I wonder what became of them. Hey, uh, hey you got any smokes left? Oh. Uh, here. Thanks. Thanks. Well, you're on the beach now, matey, that's for certain. And you won't like it, you won't. Do you? Me, I'm used to it. And look at your hands. Although you never did a day's work in your life with them soft hands. You was probably a gentleman. But you're a beachcomber now, matey, a lousy beachcomber. 
And you needn't expect me to do no begging for you, for I won't no fear. Junius turned and examined the features of the Sydney duck, who was hunched on the sand beside him. The prominence of the nose and upper lip, the thin pink ears, the jutting teeth that gave him the feeble ferocity of a rat. And at the same time he was conscious of himself, only in a different way. Here was Junius Peabody, washed up on the beach at the far edge of the world, like any other bit of useless jetsam, to stay and to rot. Pretty low. Oh, it ain't so bad. Nobody starves here, that's one thing. You can always fall in with a wedding or a birthday or something. Or maybe you come across a new chum with a bit of brass. Some flat who's willing to stand the drinks. Like me? Oh, there's plenty like you. The pearl fishing brings them in, you see. When they're stony like you, they usually take a job till they get a chance to get away again. That is, if they're able to do anything at all. What can you do? That's a good question, Sidney. Well, what can you do? I can fly a spitfire and I'm a good judge of French brandy. Huh. That's not much, is it? Not much. Hey, hey. Yeah, what's the name? I'm Where going, are you going? I'm going to take a swim. Have you had yours yet? <laughs> Morning bath on the beach at Fufuti. Well, you can't tell, Sidney. You might like it. Oh, go on. Can't prove that water ever helped anybody. Hi. You really are going in. Yes, I really am. Keep an eye on my thing, Sidney. Oh, right you are, me lord. Hope the bath ain't too cold, me lord. Oh, oh. <laughs> Junius walked down the sand alone to the water's edge and stood looking out to where the sun sent a long, glittering path toward him across the morning sea. And he was suddenly conscious that he made an ugly figure under the clear light. He moved out into the water till it reached his knees. Then something bumped against his shin, nearly tripping him. He could see the object floating nearby. It was a rough lump of some substance, grayish-brown, the size of a boy's football. He picked it up. For the touch, it was greasy. Sydney! Sydney Duck! What? Come down here to the surf a minute. I'm close enough now. You got something to show me right here? This was floating about in the water. I think I know what it is, but I can't quite believe it. Think you know what what is? This. Sit up and have a look at it. Yeah. Hey, boy, the great Lord, it's the stuff. Look at it. All smooth and greasy-like. Oh, we ain't struck it rich nor nothing. Oh, no, not much. But uh, shouldn't there be an odor, a, a perfume? That comes later when it's not so fresh, and anybody else would not. Hey, what could this be but... Ambergris, worth nearly two pounds an ounce, right here on for foodie. Here, here, let me take a feel of it. Two pounds an ounce. Ambergris, as right as rain. And there must be eight, ten pounds here. And half of it's mine. What? I say half of that's mine. Ain't I been padding along with you? Wasn't I here? It's a fair divvy. I want me half. You are half. <laughs> Nothing small about you, is there? No, my lad, this is my insurance off this island. I'll give you whatever I don't need. Oh, no, Mr. Peabody, you wouldn't forget an old friend who came to your side when you was on the beach, would you? Why, you dirty old windbag. You'd just be happy if you get anything. Mr. Peabody, I know a gentleman like you will do the right thing. Yes, well, don't you worry, Sidney. You just... <laughs> <laughs> now, lie cozy, Mr. Peabody. It's a real shame to see a gentleman like you lying all stretched out in the sand. But since you're there... 
I'll just relieve you of this insurance of yours. And now, I bid you a respectful good day, Mr. Peabody. In just a moment, the second act of Escape. But first, tomorrow night at most of these same CBS radio stations, hear William Powell in a startling anti-communist drama titled The Man Who Cried Wolf on Suspense. Tomorrow night on CBS Radio. And now, back to Escape. Junius Peabody hadn't been killed by the Sydney Duck's blow at the base of his skull was hard to understand. But it was only a matter of minutes later that he presented himself at Bendemeyer's saloon and general store. It was the only place Junius was known on the island of Fufuti. And Bendemeyer was the local authority. He was at once the best loved and the best hated individual, being police, landowner, merchant, trader, and purveyor of bad alcohol. Junius stood a moment, trying to get his breath, and then... I've been robbed. So? The property of mine has been stolen. Money? This was... No, not money. Then what do you care? What do I care? What are you talking about, man? What was this property you lost? Well, that's not important to you. I want to know if you're going to do anything about it. No. Why should I? But you're the only authority on the island. That's right. Who was the man who stole from you? Sidney Duck. He hit you and ran off? Yes. I could help you, but I won't. I've seen too many of your kind here on the beach. Drift stuff that gets washed in. You're not worth it. All right, I'll do this myself since you won't help. Where are you going? I don't know, but this island isn't so big I can't find the Sidney Duck. You go alone to retake this... Property of yours? Since I must, yes. You're a fool. They'll probably kill you. Well, they'll probably... They? Those that live at Tempo Head, that's where the Sydney Duck will be now. That's where they all go when they must hide because of some minor lawlessness. The Sydney Duck has something of mine and I'm going to get it back. And when I do, I'll be in to see you to talk business. I still think you're a fool. Bendemir, last night you cashed in the last of my letter of credit. That's right. You were glad enough to help me then. You had money. That's the only drive you have? Money? It's the biggest. But let me tell you more. I don't mind helping a man who is worth something. A man who wants to help himself but you. I know your kind. You're filled with rum and useless. You're... Jetsam, you always will be. You're very sure, aren't you? I know your kind, pitying yourself, thinking no one understands you or your problems, so you swill in rum in order to hide. You always will. I'm going out to Tembo Head, and I'll be back. I'll give you a drink if you get back. <laughs> It took the better part of two hours for Junius to work his way over the lava cliffs and crevices, knife-like and treacherous, to Tenbo Head, or what was better known as The Rocks. And here, his fingernails bleeding, his clothes torn, Junius finally found the Sydney Duck and Willems. 
They were seated on a small ledge, half hidden by pandanus leaves, overlooking the blue Pacific 30 feet below. Between the hulking German and the little Sydney duck was the prize, his prize, the gray-brown ball now enclosed in a torn fishnet. Empty-handed, there was no way to take the ambergris from the two of them. Junius crouched low behind the foliage, thinking. And then a plan came to mind, so simple that Junius smiled. With a rush, he cleared the foliage and, stooping, clutched the filled net with one hand. Then, before the two startled men could more than cry out, he dove into the ocean 30 feet below. Stand in here. Coming. I was out in the storeroom and I... Peabody. That's right. I'm back. Yes, so I see. But not in good condition. It'll do. You needn't stare. I'm a paying customer now. As how? Ambergris. My property. Over ten pounds of it. What? Was it this the Sydney duck robbed you of? That's right. And you went out to the rocks to get it back from him yourself? From them. Willems, the German, was with him. By yourself? You did this? Look, there's the stuff. Now about that business proposition. Concerning this? Right. How much do you want for it? A thousand silver dollars or two thousand chili. I don't have that much about me. Suppose we say a standing credit for a thousand drinks instead. I want money, not liquor. It amounts to the same thing. By the time you drunk yourself to death, I'd simply have the money back again. No, it doesn't, because I'm going to leave this island. And to do that, I need money. So let's talk business, Bendemir. Not yours to sell, you ruddy thief. What? Mr. Bendemir, this man here, this peabody robbed me and my partner Williams of that what's lying on your counter there. And if you want to do business, it should be with Williams and me. Yeah, that's right. That's ours. Now, what do you give us? I have been told it's not yours. Sydney, you're a lying little cheat. You know, that's mine. I found it. That belongs as the Sydney duck. That's a lie. Don't, Don't tell me how quiet. All of you. Oh, Mr. Vanderbilt, after all, it's, it's, it's our word against his. And that there are two of us. But what if two of you are lying? How do you suggest it be settled? <laughs> Fight for it. Yeah, fine. We'll, we'll go outside, the three of us, and whoever comes back in, it's it's rightly theirs. Yeah, good. The minute I set foot outside that door, you'd have a knife in my back. Oh, you don't sound as brave as you did before, Mr. Peabody. Not against the two of them. I'm not a fool, that's all. Against um, one, perhaps? Villains? Why not? <laughs> After all, you could kill Sydney with one blow. You must hate people. Just weaklings. All right, I'll fight. And if I win? I'll buy from you. Sydney, sit down in that chair where I can keep an eye on you. Yes. Now give it to him proper, Williams. There are no rules. Go ahead. You're big and stupid, Willems. As <laughs> Now that's enough for you, no? Einmal mehr, Kleinchen, einmal mehr. 
And so you see, it is easily settled. Sydney Tuck. Yes? Get your friend out of here. I have business to discuss with Mr. Peabody. You feel better now that you are bathed and huh. whole again, huh? Now, let's get on with it. I want money for this stuff. I want to leave this place as soon as possible. You can only get off this island when and how I allow you. You see, mine is the only boat, the likely Jane. You can see her through the window there. A brandy. I had my final drink in this place last night when you threw me out. Sure? Quite. Uh. Well, just in case. Now, let me suggest my plan. The island of Nukava, which I own, is well planted with coconut crop. However, Nukava is on the edge of the earth, the farthest corner, and the loneliest, and the driest. There are 12 Kanaka boys there, but I need an agent, someone I can trust. Why do you tell me? A white man could live there if he wanted to, and if he were fit to live at all. Of course, once he was there, he'd be stuck for a year on a coral gridiron. There's not a drop of anything to drink. Save water. And that is brackish. Look, Bendemir, what about this amber grease? I've got more than ten pounds of it. Will you buy it? You can't very well take it anywhere else if I wouldn't buy it. Can you? Now, I'll make you an offer. I'll buy this lump of stuff from you, and I'll buy it either two ways. I'll give you a half interest in Nukaba, and you go there at once to take charge as agent or else... Here is the first of your brandy, and I'll keep you perpetually drunk as long as you last. Carver. Once you're there, Peabody, there's no escape. You'll sit and fry. What for? Why do you offer me a choice like this? Because Why? it amuses me. Because I please. Because... Uh, I know what you'll do. Yes? I've been watching men of your sort all my life. And I know just what they're worth. Drift on beaches. Scraps. Trash, jetsam, regeneration, ugh, rotten drivel. You can't save yourself any more than you could lift yourself by your own bootstraps. It suits me to prove you this way. Uh-huh. There's your stinking brandy on the floor to say that you're wrong, Bendemir. You lose. Oh, so? Yes. I'll go to Nukada. As my agent? Yes. You'll stay and run the island for a year. Yes, if only to prove there are some scraps thrown on the beach that are worth something. Eh, so I see. Eh, so I see. The likely chain will sail within an hour. Yes, I'll be aboard. An hour or so later, as Bendemir watched the likely Jane set a course for Nukava, there was a smile on the face of that remarkable man, curiously unlike that of a loser's chagrin. He was still smiling as he went back to his storeroom to put the place to rights. There was a clutter of odds and ends of cargo from one of his surf boats, which had upset the day before while hauling cargo out to his schooner. 
Most of it had been salvaged by his Kanaka boys along the shore. But a certain tub containing tallow had lost a part of its contents. However, he was able now to restore the missing tallow, a large lump, weighing perhaps ten pounds or so. Under the direction of Norman MacDonald, Escape has brought you Jetsam by John Russell, adapted by Norman MacDonald and starring Ben Wright. Featured in the cast were John Daner as Bendemere, Lawrence Dobkin as Sir John, and Charlie Lung as the Sydney Duck. The narrator was Edgar Barrier. Editorial supervision is by John Meston. And the special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Next week... You are standing in inky blackness, looking up a long flight of stairs, at the top of which looks something unbelievably evil, while in the moving shadows behind you, coming closer to you, is the shadowy figure of something that could only come from a nightmare. So listen next week when Escape brings you Anthony Ellis's terrifying story, I Saw Myself Running. CBS Radio, hear Robert Q. Lewis filling in for Arthur Godfrey, who's off on an Air Force mission. On House Party, another of our Monday through Friday mainstays here on CBS Radio, popular Art Linkletter holds the reins. Don't miss them tomorrow on most of these same CBS Radio stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. America now listens to 105 million radio sets and listens most to the CBS Radio Network. podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.